Yo, this is Brooklyn, second in command of the Manhattan clan, and you're listening to Voices from the Eerie. Now, I'd love to stay and chat, but Demona's up to her old tricks again, and I'm off to put a stop to it. Gotta find my bike. The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness, superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Hello and welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, webmaster and executive producer of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the show. This show is powered by Spidey-Dude.com. It's part of the general network that powers it. You can support this show, if you like, via Patreon.com slash Network. You can also leave us a voicemail, 818-925-6631. We'll play that voicemail in a future episode. We also like to get emails every once in a while. Be sure to leave us an email, if you like. Gargoyles Voices at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. At Spidey Dude Network on Facebook is the general network Facebook page. But you can also follow this exclusive Twitter handle, at From Erie on Twitter. Follow us there to get show updates at both places. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe if you're listening to us on YouTube. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, you can always leave us a five-star review, and we will read all of that feedback in a future episode. want to give a shout-out before we get started also is to our, to our patrons, Scott and Venkman. Thank you for your support of this show and all the shows on the Spidey Radio Network. As always, we thank all of our guests and our host for this show. And with that, I turn it over. Welcome back, Gargoyles fans, to another episode of Voices from the Eerie. I'm your co-host, Greg Bashansky, and joining me as usual is my partner in crime and co-host, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello, everybody. And joining us again, as usual, is the supervising producer of the first two seasons of Gargoyles, the co-creator and the writer of the SLG comic books, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hey, everyone. And we are very happy to introduce to you a man of a thousand voices, a legend in his field, the voice of Brooklyn, Owen, the Magus, and about 16 or 17 other characters, <laughs> Mr. Jeff Bennett. And I do not remember half of those. <laughs> I, I think there you do like six different voices in this episode we're discussing even. <laughs> I, I think I might. Was I, was I one of the cops? Because it seems like yeah, you were one of the cops. You were one of the biker guys, um, and, and so was Keith. Like they, you guys did a lot of work in this episode. Yeah, they utilized us for for as many crowds as uh, humanly possible. Nice. That's and, called uh, capitalizing on your assets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, there was a lot of that. I do remember going, "Wow, I, how many? How many?" parts did we do today i yeah it was fun 
Nice. We do have a little bit of news to discuss first. This is Nightwatch, reporting from New York, Travis Marshall. Tonight, more on the news that has rocked Manhattan, if not the world. The NECA Thalog figure is beginning to hit shelves, so go out and buy him if you find him. And we just saw a tease of, on Christmas Eve of um, the back of Bronx's box art showcasing the new NECA figures of Lexington, Brooklyn, and Broadway. And the Brooklyn figure this time has a neck! <laughs> so nice of me to do that. I needed a neck so badly! Maybe, do I have my bike, though? Maybe they'll make uh, one. That, oh, that bike, uh, Kenner came out with that bike. Uh, I uh, never used it with my Gargoyles figures, but I used to use it for my Ghost Rider figure because it seemed to fit. <laughs> nice. Nice. And Makes I, me wonder how many kids blew it up. You know. <laughs> yeah. And on uh, we had a complicated we had a complicated relationship with Ken. Um, <laughs> complicated. Uh, complicated. Yeah. One thing I like to bring up, uh, it's not happy, but uh, uh, Dave Schwartz passed away. Uh, Dave was one of the uh, development art directors on uh, at Walt Disney TV Animation and helped us develop. Um, Gargoyles. Um, the original art director on the show was Bob Klein, but Bob Klein uh, left Disney for a period of time uh, before returning. Um, and in the interim, Dave became the art director. And when Bob came back, they were co-art directors. And Dave, in essence, created the inspirational design that became Brooklyn, Lexington, and Broadway. Um, Wow. You know, if you look at the old kit that's on the first season DVD, um, there's an art card there that shows Brooklyn, Lexington, and Broadway in color, and that was Dave's art. Um, uh, Dave uh, was a fantastic guy, very funny, very acerbic, um, and uh, a, a great partner. Um, he uh, moved to Ohio a few years ago um, and uh, when he remarried and uh, he fought a really valiant battle uh, against uh, cancer. Um, and uh, was winning and uh, was fully vaccinated and boosted, but his, he caught COVID and his immune system was compromised by his cancer treatment. Oh man! And oh, uh, gosh. Um, so because other people didn't get vaccinated, uh, Dave passed away uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, uh, he's uh, left behind uh, two wonderful daughters and a, a wife, um, and uh, a lot of friends who will miss him. And a lot of fans, many of whom don't even realize what his contributions were to many shows, including Gargoyles. Uh, and so yeah. I just wanted to stop for a second. Uh, again, I realize that we were all laughing and joking and I brought the mood way down. But uh, uh, I just felt, uh, particularly for a Gargoyles podcast, we had to stop and 
acknowledge Dave, his contributions to the show and the, the great Absolutely. work and the Definitely. great person that he was. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I love most about the first day we were all gathered at the studio. Remember those days? And um, seeing the artwork, you know, when they uh, brought out the different renderings and artwork for each character and the scenes, the settings, it took me back to my theater days because that's that's where I started originally. It was like years before that, I, you know, mid-80s to late-80s to... Uh, it was like 83 to 88. I was at a, a regional theater in Houston. And it reminded me of those days where, you know, the director showed you uh, this is what the costume is going to look like and the renderings of everything and, and the sets and everybody got very excited. And I remember feeling that way for the first time about a uh, a show here. I go, this is going to be great. And I, I was uh, speaking of other people who have passed i was sat right next to ed asner may he also rest in glorious gargoyle peace you know and yeah i looked over at him and i was like man i'm sitting next to friggin ed asner and he looked at me and he said i i'm ed <laughs> i was like i know lou i love you so much <laughs> he, he looked straight at me didn't miss a beat and said shut up <laughs> it was perfect uh, I'll never forget that because it was just it was like immediately I felt at home because of all those things you know because the the, the artwork was gorgeous um, but the casting as as you know took a while and so I mean we <laughs> We were all just so happy to be in the show and be there and be looking at all of this uh, amazing collaboration around us. So uh, it really was a, a beautifully collaborative show in every way. Yeah, that's all true. Um, yeah, I still. I mean, uh, on this show, on this podcast, we've talked about add uh multiple times at this point it's still uh rock me uh i you know I, I i cannot get my head around him being gone i can't yet uh truly one of the greats i mean yeah wasn't anything he wouldn't do too for you he's just a beautiful person but yeah we're losing we're losing too many great great people to this yeah. like but on that fearful note, oh, back to our show. <laughs> Thanks, well, Greg. Uh, well, we were gonna. Yeah, James Schwartz was my next talking point, so I'm glad we were able to discuss him. He sounded like a terrific yeah. person, and his and he designed the trio, I believe. So may he rest in peace. Yeah. And he was a great guy. He really was a great guy. Yeah. I'm afraid we're out of time. This has been Nightwatch. Sleep well. And to lighten th the mood, Jeff, um, how did you get into voice acting? I was out here trying to do the whole uh, on-camera 
movie TV thing, and it just uh, nothing was breaking through for me. And I ended up doing um, a play. Um, although these were happening at the same time, I, I ran into a, a couple of people who were helping me get my demo reel or tape. God, was it a reel back then? No, it was a, it was a I think it was cassettes by that time. <laughs> and and he was helping me get it together. Just be glad it wasn't eight track. Right, right. Those could be ruined in two minutes. Um, and he he said, you know, uh, I have a a friend over at SBV who is who is going out on her own uh, to a different agency, and she's looking for new people, new blood. And I think Tom Pinto. This was that was the guy who was who was helping me at the time, and. Uh, he said her name's Linda Behrman, and she uh, she's looking for new people, and so he introduced me to her. And I happened to be doing this show at the time that I got into through, uh, believe it or not, just auditioning through Dramalogue. And I, I saw on the the description, it was like, and it was called Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, <laughs> which, which was... Very the classics. Yeah, the classics. <laughs> uh, Greek tragedy. And uh it, it it had been a long running uh off Broadway show, like one of the longest. And they decided they wanted to bring it out here to premiere it in LA. So they had auditions and I was in this long line of people and I auditioned because I thought, man, this 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 is the kind of thing maybe uh I could actually get because it was basically a, a German vampire hunter, uh, a Liverpudlian fashion photographer, and one other role. I can't. It was like three roles. So I did a monologue doing like three or four different voices, and and got hired, and and uh, I was doing that play for a while, and invited the agents to come see it. I said, come see me in Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. You'll love it. And uh, and that's basically how I uh, started over at SBV. They were kind enough to take me in. And I, I've been there. Although I started out uh, at a different agency. Hey, Don Pitts. Yeah, Don Pitts. I was there. Uh, I think when Casey Kasem was still. Yeah, yeah. He was still popular at that time. <laughs> and yeah that's 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 pretty much how i started and then she became a full agent over at sbv a couple of years later and and took me and a couple of other um voiceover talent with her well i uh first worked with jeff on a show called bonkers where <laughs> he played jitters a dog and which was a character that i absolutely adored um and he played like, as is typical for Jeff, like probably six or seven other characters as well. And I remember saying to myself that I would never do a show again without Jeff Bennett. But, um, I thought you were going to say with Jeff Bennett. <laughs> I no, will never. Without, that's it. That's the I, last time. <laughs> and I have been true to my word. I have never done a show without Jeff. He is my lucky charm. Um, and um, 
and I think we mentioned this when Jamie was on the show, but you know, when we were casting Gargoyles, we had no idea what uh, Gargoyles would sound like. And um, one of the people who solved that problem was not Jeff Bennett, but Tom Hadcox. <laughs> um, and Bill Fogerbachy, uh, who both have this sort of gravel in their voice, but Tom's voice, of course, is, you know, higher pitched and, and Bill's is low, but they both have this gravel. So we just sort of went to Jeff and said, find the guy in the middle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I remember that. I remember, um, God, it was probably like my fifth or sixth time back. And I think Jamie said something like, yeah, it's like we want to go with this sort of, okay, here's what Bill sounds like. Here's what Tom sounds like. We want you to find this kind of place in the middle. And I kind of I kind of started doing this Clint Eastwood kind of thing. And he goes, yeah, yeah, stay with the stay with the Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is great. <laughs> so. Uh, it wasn't long after that. I think that that might have been one of the last auditions because I would call, you know, the agents monthly and go, any any word on Gargoyles? And they're like, no, no, they're still they're still auditioning. You know, they're still this. This thing is serious. They really they really want to find the right person. I'm like, well, you know, they'd like you back for a sixth time or something. I'm like, OK, I'll, I'll go back. Yeah, sure. And. And my my agent at the time called me. I think this is this is when I found out I got it. She said so. Uh, her name was uh, Libby Libby Westby, and she said, "Well, you know, they've been auditioning for a while, and they really they really like you, Jeff. But they're going with the real thing." <laughs> it's like what what? Her sense of joking at the time. Oh, oh, real gargoyles. Okay, they're going with the real gargoyles. All right. But, um, yeah, that was, that was, it was quite a, a process. And I remember thinking, well, hey, you know, I hope they figure it out because I, I'm not sure I can do anything different at this point, but I'll just do what I'm told. And, and they knew what they wanted. So it was. I love that you think we knew what we want. Um, I, what I do think is great is, is I'd forgotten that the sort of origins of Brooklyn were in Clint Eastwood because Brooklyn is so, um, you know, even from the first episode, comes alive to me as his own unique thing. I'd completely forgotten that you sort of started by going, well, what if I did a Clint Eastwood thing? I mean, uh, because I hear that voice and I just think, yeah, that's Brooklyn. You know, <laughs> I don't think that it's like a pastiche on Quinn. Um, right. I, right. I just think, you know, this is where I'm going to try and embarrass Jeff if that's possible. But uh, this is where, uh, you know, Jeff is a tremendous technician as a vocal performer. But on top of that, he's a phenomenal actor. And so, yeah, once he sort of found that placement for Brooklyn, that was one aspect of the gig, obviously. Um you know, he's not just sitting there speaking in his Jeff Bennett voice. He's found that place where Brooklyn lives. But then the thing that makes Brooklyn Brooklyn is just amazing acting talent. It, it, it's not just about the, the technical aspect of 
consistently finding that place. It's about staying in that place and then bringing that character to life. And, and no one can do that. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, you know, to this day, a miracle to me all the time. Uh, and then uh, Brooklyn emerged very rapidly. And to some extent, to our surprise, if he was the one with the big, you know, long beak, um, but uh, emerged very quickly as a fan favorite and even as a sort of uh, object of desire for a lot of the fandom. Um, and uh, uh, and that Brooklyn's definitely so funny, that man. He can't help it. He's got all the cool yeah. points, you know. He's he's the smooth one. This kind yeah, that sort that of always confused me too because I was like, what? What is it? And maybe it was this kind of rock and roll quality about the character, and especially in this episode with the whole bike oh, from, you know, kicking thirty bikers' asses all at once. You know that 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 helps, I guess. But um. Yeah, he he. I always thought, you know, it was like it was so cool the the way that everybody seemed to look a little bit like their character, and I know that that was I think it was partly on purpose that the animators did you know such such a great job of like molding. Yeah, I mean, it was through in one episode that's coming up called The Mirror where you turned into humans, and in that we gave the designers. Uh, photos of you guys and said look don't go too far they still have to look like Brooklyn Mexican and Broadway but if you can make them look a little bit like uh, Tom Jeff and uh, and Bill great uh, but the, the actual designs of the gargoyles themselves we did that before you guys were cast so no they weren't they were it's kind of funky because really uh, Brooklyn you know, at the time I had pretty long, longish blonde yeah. hair. Uh, if only I still had that, but, um, it just, it did kind of, you know, I thought, I thought at certain times, wow, I mean, at least he does have my hair. It's like if <laughs> it melded, you know, Tom Petty and Tina Turner together, maybe, you know. A little bit of Tina Turner to, to Brooklyn, too, I always thought. I was like, you know, shake your tail feather kind of thing. Shake shake your wing feathers. Yeah. I was just about to say that this was the episode that launched a thousand Brooklyn fangirls. Jen can attest to that one. It really did. I just instantly was in love with Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, to the point where I'm going to do a little bit of a shout out. There was a previous Gargoyles podcast, which is sadly now defunct Gargoyles Reawakening. One of the co-hosts, Lisa, she was a huge Brooklyn fan girl and she named her son Bennett. Oh, wow. No kidding. Wow. That's going too far. I hope. <laughs> I, ho- I hope Bennett has his own bike and is a is a happy kid. Or adult. he's probably 40 now, you know, so. It was a really long time ago. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been a minute, definitely. And Brooklyn's this character, he goes through such amazing development for the show from naive teen along with the rest of them to a bit of a leader himself. Uh, just agreeing. Yeah. 
I think you, Greg, and the team all did a phenomenal job bringing this character to life and capturing the imaginations of many, many people. Well, I don't think I don't think he would have been so important to so many people if it hadn't been like that, like kismet of things. Like they had the character design, they had this wonderfully written character that was going to grow and and uh, change throughout the season. And uh, and then this amazing voice actor behind it all. And it just came together so amazingly. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the trio are just awesome. Everybody did such a great job. Indeed. And that's that's the beauty, too, of, of working with good writers like Greg. And and, you know, they've already done all the hard work uh, for the most part for you. You know, it's just it's just bringing it to life. And this was I don't know any other show. That was so well developed. With such a such a huge arc through the show than Gargoyles. I really I think it's it's kind of amazing that we went from this the awakening, the beginnings to a whole Shakespearean other netherworld kind of show as it went on and i don't even you know i i wasn't even involved in uh a lot of the the later shows but it was amazing just to just to be uh part of that whole arc and i i i i literally i don't remember any other show that was that was quite like it in that way and i i, I think that was why it was a big uh fan favorite you know because it, it truly it did not Talked down to an audience, it lifted you up to watch it, you know, and and made you think um, it had a philosophy and it and it really made you uh, kept you engaged. And in a way, many cartoons, uh, you know, if you want to call them cartoons, do uh, do you know? You definitely wanted to tune in next week and see what was going to happen kind of thing. It was, it kept you interested. There was an ongoing storyline. There was, you know, definitely. Yes. And, and these characters were definitely growing in each episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I, I, I think a lot of people learned a lot through the show as well. Thanks to, uh, the writing was, uh, I mean, th- those were some pretty tough themes for younger kids in some of these shows. You know, uh, I, there's certain things in this episode I'm amazed that we got away with. Um, you know, speaking of the writing, I really want to mention Bryn Chandler Reeves, who wrote the episode, uh, and uh, and Michael Reeves, who story edited it. Uh, uh, they did all. Two of them did the bulk of the work of, of making this episode play. But there's stuff in there like uh, you see, I mean, it's in a body bag, but you see a corpse being traced, taken away in this episode. I'm like, how do we get away with that? <laughs> right. Uh, right. It was CSI kind of stuff that you don't usually see in animation. Right. Um, My problem, though, was the uh, at one point they're putting a gun in a bag, but 
they're doing it with their bare hands. Oh, no, no, I think he, I think he, they use a pencil or some kind of stick. It, they put it through the loop, whatever. Oh, is that? Yeah. <laughs> it looks like they're just using their hands, going, yeah, put the gun in the back. Yeah, nobody will know. It's, it's all good. <laughs> it's New York. What are you going to do? I'm from New York. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> And Greg, I'm glad, glad you brought up Bryn Chandler. She was also next on my talking points, and she did a phenomenal job with this script and other scripts, a real workhorse on the show as well. And um, let's talk about that motorcycle. Jeff keeps referencing it. It's uh, very memorable, even though it lasts, what, three minutes at most? Right. Uh, short-lived motorcycle. Much to Lexington's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, so... We had this partnership with Kenner, doing all the figures, and they, uh, some of which looked terrific, some less so. Um, some had no names. And, uh, but what they really wanted was vehicles. Um, they just kind of have vehicles. We're like, you know, the gargoyles, they got wings. Uh, um, we don't really need vehicles, and, you know, they're from, the middle ages they don't really want to drive um and they're like oh no we gotta have vehicles and and so we came up with this idea of doing the gargoyle cycle uh and then um i i don't know what i was thinking honestly uh, i mean it's so arrogant that we blew it up in that episode <laughs> i mean it's been on screen for maybe four or five minutes, and we here's your up. motorcycle. Yeah, you want a motorcycle, Kenner? Here you go. The thing is, is I look at it down, I'm like, it's a pretty cool motorcycle. Maybe we shouldn't have blown it up quite so quickly. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it, it might should have been parked back at the castle, you know, for yeah. for another couple of episodes at least. That that's where you get the difference between. Um, you know, 30 year old producer Greg, who's never done it before and is just like, fuck Kenner, what do I don't need Kenner. Um, and, <laughs> and 58 year old Greg is like, going, what the fuck are you doing, kid? Uh, you know, it just becomes this, uh, exercise in, in, uh, um, self immolation, uh, kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I look at the motorcycle now and I think, you know, that looks pretty cool. And the toy actually was pretty cool. Um, it didn't make a hell of a lot of sense for gargoyles, but I loved how Brooklyn makes it work. Um, even things like the helmet, you know, it's like S and P said, if he's on a motorcycle, he's got to wear a helmet. And we're like, he flies around the city without a helmet on. And so we're like, okay, so we actually sort of hung a landscape on it. Broadway says, what are you putting the helmet on? Your head's hard enough. And it's like, um, hey, it's all part of the look. You know, he pokes the holes in the helmet for the horn and he puts it on and the leather jacket. It's all part of the look. And what he's saying is, hey, kids, helmets are cool. You think helmets aren't cool and you don't want to wear them. But we're telling you, we're gargoyles. We're telling you, wearing the helmet, that's cool. Um, Just poking up the helmet. So yeah, that that was our way to uh, um, get around the S and P, or, or to, or really invest even in the S and P problem of, of doing, of needing to have helmets on uh, anyone who rode a motorcycle. 
but it was amazing how how good Brooklyn was right away at at riding his bike. I mean, yeah, he was like he didn't need any motorcycle training. He how was brilliant. Just, was it that Lexington could build one? <laughs> just randomly that looks hi that here i am never seen a machine before i'm gonna build this and then the next second brooklyn's on it and taking off and sliding over fences with it and you know all sorts of badass stuff it does see yeah because that's how motorcycles work if you put wings on the belt fly um <laughs> It did seem like somehow it's like, where did you get all these spare parts? And, I, you know, we'd always make jokes in between anyway. And I I think, you know, it was just, I stole them from a car. <laughs> they didn't need them. They're just parked in New York. Who needs it? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how we do but things I, here. I was sad. I was sad that it blew up as quickly as it did, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was at the time. I thought it was great that we blew it up, and now I'm like, like, oh man, that bike was cool. <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely, uh, I don't know if matured's the right word, but I definitely changed with age. <laughs> I would not use the word matured. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also like we do so much damage in the cloisters, um, and I always. I feel guilty about that too. I'm like, geez, the cloisters, that's, you know, all the stained glass, not the stained glass. Oh my God. What do we do? Right. You ripped up another um, Christmas tree. Yeah. You just sort of like, uh, now it's all about, you know, it's the difference between, I was, you know, rented property when, uh, when we were making gargoyles, but now I own property and I'm like, what are you doing? Insurance. <laughs> The responsible homeowner version mm-hmm. doesn't approve of yeah. construction. It's tough. It was an expensive set. It really was. I mean, yeah. A lot of money spent on those sets just to tear them apart like that. Again, kind of a rock and roll thing. <laughs> you didn't know you were making a rock and roll kind of show, but that's that's how it was. That's right. Simona makes a return in this episode, and they go on this little tour of the city, a very dramatic tour, but why do you think she selected Brooklyn instead of Broadway or Lexington, or was it random on her part, do you think? Well, uh, I I think, you know, she knew these three from back in the day, and I think she recognized in Brooklyn that he had leadership qualities um, even before Brooklyn realized it. Um, And even before Goliath had started to consider who his second in command would be. Um, he, uh, he recognized him as someone with potential and that if he could get Goliath and his pesky morality out of the picture, then Brooklyn might be able to lead the others into uh, following her, um, that he had that charisma and he had that leadership ability. And uh, and to some extent, I think also she tracked him and found a moment where he was susceptible. You know, it's not like she approaches him immediately. She waits until uh, he needs her. He needs backup. He needs help. And waits until he's pissed off about humans and down. She chooses her moment. Um, you know, Demona is smart about hundreds of things and then really dumb about two or three um usually 
but you know, one of the things she's good at actually is, in a, uh, although it's always pessimistic and cynical, she's good at assessing character. Um, and I think she saw uh, a lot of positive qualities in Brooklyn, but also corruptible qualities in Brooklyn. Um, and on one level, she overestimated how corruptible he would be. And then on the other side of it, uh, a more sort of behind the scenes side of it, um, we very much in, in this episode and the one that both precedes and follows it, we wanted to, um, uh, you know, in Thrill of the Hunt, that was really a Lexington episode to let our viewers sort of really get to know Lexington uh, and especially Lexington and his relationship with Goliath. And this was the same thing, Brooklyn and his relationship to Goliath. And uh, and it follows in the next one that it'll be Broadway and, and his relationship to Goliath and Elisa. Um, and so we think of these three episodes, uh, you know, following the five-part pilot, these uh, episodes six, seven, and eight as a kind of triptych the Lexington episode, the Brooklyn episode, and the Broadway episode um, that all kind of play together uh, as allowing us to really get into depth on each of these three characters. Up to this point, we've pretty much only seen them as a unit, you know, as the trio. And they have a great rapport and they bounce off each other really well and all that's great, but we wanted to get a little focus time for each one. And so this was going to be, obviously, Brooklyn. Nice. And Jeff, you're also one of the bikers here. What's it like in a situation in the booth when you have dialogue with yourself? Oh, just like normal life. You know. <laughs> just talking to yourself all the time. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had days where, like, this is probably longer ago, but, like, my daughter going by the door and going, Daddy, who are you talking to? I'm like, nobody. Myself, go away. Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, I kind of grew up doing that kind of thing anyway. Um, but really, I've, I, I've just gotten so used to it in this work and, uh, something that I, I, I always enjoyed doing, even as a kid, you know, I mean, I'd watch, I'd watch the Rich Little special. And think, wow, I, that's so cool that he can he can do these different voice, these different impressions, and it's like he's talking to himself, you know. And I started working on those kind of things early on, and uh, maybe uh, maybe it became a little bit of uh, my own therapy as well, you know. But um, it's just it's a it's kind of a natural thing for me, unfortunately. And a lot of the voice directing in this episode is brilliant also. Thank you to the actors, of course, and to Jamie Thomas. And Demona has this one line in the episode, which I've seen fans debate when she says that line about perhaps the policewoman is the exception that proves the rule, but I I don't know. It feels like she's forcing herself to say that. Yeah, I think she is uh, in that moment swallowing her Elisa hate. Okay, I, you know, in other words, she, again, smart enough to know that if she says, no, no, she's horrible too, that Brooklyn will react to that and, and step back and, and start thinking about everything that Damona's saying 
in a different light. So she forces herself to say, all right, maybe, I don't know, maybe she's the exception that proves the rule. But let me tell you something. Um, and let me show you something. And she isn't, you'll notice, saying we have to go to war against the human. You know, she's genocidal, and yet she doesn't preach genocide in this episode. Um, she, in, in trying to seduce him, she's saying, look, we just have to be way more careful than Goliath wants you to be. And we've got to find a way to show him that. And given what he's just experienced with the bikers, that's sounding like it makes some sense. Um, and then, you know, Goliath inadvertently falls right into her, uh, you know, plays right into her hands because Elisa comes up again and says, Goliath, you guys have to move. You are not safe here. Santos is getting out of prison in a month. And Goliath is like, We'll drive them away again, you know, in a very medieval sort of mindset. Um, and Brooklyn is like, well, wait, what if, wait a minute. Does that even make sense? What if, what if, what if that doesn't work, you know? Uh, and Goliath doesn't want to talk about it. That's want to hear about the it. most interesting. He's not ready. That's the most interesting thing about this show to me is that this tightrope of, you know, walking this tightrope of trust and mistrust, distrust is really interesting, you know, because you don't know. Uh, it's, it's almost like those, you know, the mafia movies, the Scorsese stuff where you go, I don't, I don't know who's on my side anymore because I, you know, he's, he's smart enough. Brooklyn is smart enough to know that Elisa is, is a friend. And he trusts that. But, you know, after the, the bad day and the blowing up of the bike and all that that he's had, is it's like it, that's, it's not so easy to do. And I think I think that's a really great. Um, you know, this whole idea of othering. That is really prevalent in our society now. It's not like it wasn't then. But even more so, uh, I think, because of social media and and other factors it's really it almost takes on more uh weight and importance now these kind of shows i couldn't agree more another thing that i've noticed is that um over the course of the series brooklyn tends to develop a crush on any female with wings. And again, this is something fans have debated. Was he crushing on Demona even a little? And one thing I do have to notice that entire sequence on the ledge, the board artist was really having fun with the angles he drew her in. So I'm kind of wondering. I, I, I don't think that's a question for me. Uh, uh, you know, I'm happy to leave that to fans' interpretation. Um, I think that, you know, growing up, he admired Demona quite a bit, um, but also viewed her as, as you know, as she was, viewed her as Goliath's mate. And, you know, I, I don't think that it really, the second piece of that, it changed much. But obviously, the problem with the first piece is that, it, as he says, yeah, the last Last week, you tried to blow me up with a bazooka. Um, so that kind of changes our relationship a bit. Um, but I do think it's fair to say 
um, that Brooklyn grew up in a clan of male and female gargoyles and, and, um, and suddenly, um, there's no female influence there. And I think he misses that. And I do think that's fair to say. And she has moments. I don't actually want to call them seductive. I don't even think, I mean, she's trying to seduce him in a, and make it complicit in a moral sense. I think it's a sexual thing, but uh, uh, I I do think there are definitely moments when um, that feminine approach works on him in a way that I don't think a male approach would have worked. Um, and uh, then how far do you take it? Whether he's crushing on her or whatever. Again, I'm I'm more than happy to let any individual fan try that for themselves. Um, but uh, I, I think it's more about um, that feminine influence and that feminine touch, which he is missing um, from his life since they got to the 20th century. Oh, remember when we lived in the 20th century? Um, way, way back in the day. <laughs> way back in the 20th. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's kind of the deal there. Uh, you know, she presents an aspect to him that, uh, is missing from his life. And I think she's aware of that. And again, I don't think that necessarily translates to her trying to seduce him in a sexual sense, but I think she's clearly trying to seduce him over um, for lack of a better term, to the dark side, you know, <laughs> that, uh, that kind of thing. I think that's uh, fair to say. Only I can be your girlfriend. <laughs> so, with no. this spell, um, so, you know, with this spell, uh, she wants to control Goliath, and does she really think this is gonna fly with the rest of the clan? Just, clearly he's not himself. Like it's not going to be fooling anyone, right? Uh, you know, and um, so has she just thought this real through, or is she just being revengeful? And uh, I think a she's trying to subtract his leadership from the equation. Uh, I mean, in other words, Goliath is, among other things, uh, an amazingly charismatic leader, and as long as he's there, I think she's again. Demona, as usual, smart about a hundred things and then dumb about a couple. Um, but one thing that she uh, realizes that as long as he, he's there um, functioning normally, she's not going to be able to turn any of them to her side. Uh, and then she's like, but I could still use. Him. So I'm going to turn him to my side. And. Um, and then let me see if I can turn in any of these others once his influence is removed. And, you know, as a backup, I still have the spell. I can cast it on Brooklyn. You know, in other words, if if this doesn't fly for Brooklyn, I don't want it. But if I have to, I can cast it on him, too. Um, and ultimately, I think she was prepared if she needed to to cast it on literally all, you know, Hudson, Lexington, Broadway Bronx even, you know, if that's what she needed to do, that's what she was prepared to do. Um, she's not quite, you know, she's still at a stage where 
she's viewing Goliath as the problem. And that's what I mean about her being smart about a lot of stuff and dumb about something. That, oh, if only Goliath were out of the way, then all these other gargoyles would quickly see that I'm right. And, of course, the very act of doing what she does absolutely turns Brooklyn against her. And she's prepared for it, and yet she's kind of surprised by it. Um, like, you know, she knew she was, you know, lying to him uh, or lying by omission at best uh, about what she was planning to do to Goliath. But she thought, well, he'll come to see the light. And then he doesn't. And in fact, it turns him and she's prepared for that. She was kind of hoping she wouldn't have to. And, and whereas any one of us would have looked at that situation and said, okay, the moment you do this, you've lost this kid. Um, and uh, she was hoping that he'd still see the light from her point of view. But she probably didn't think that he'd rip out the pages. Uh-huh. He wasn't ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> and even just before that, she jumped to, I'm going to cast a spell on you to kill him really quickly. Uh, well, first he's like, grab him. I mean, killing him is not her first thought. Um, contain him, or I forget what the exact line is, but it wasn't kill him. It was uh, take him. Uh, yeah, take him. Or uh, yeah, and uh, you know, basically, she just wanted to hold him still so she could cast that spell. But uh, again, but um, yeah, I don't. She's not instantaneously murderous when it comes to other gargoyles. That that you know, she has to get over a hump on that or be so enraged in the first place that it sort of uh flows out of the rage and but here she was very sort of this was a much more cold-blooded episode for demona than for example awakening part five was um and uh so that gave her a little uh distance to you know she doesn't actually want to kill gargoyles if she can avoid it she's not above it but she's not, you know, that's not her go-to when it comes to her own species. I want to know how you uh, decided amongst yourselves to resolve that last scene. Um, that was pretty I funny. Like, I feel like that was a conversation between Brent and Michael and myself that went back and forth. And I honestly do not remember uh, who suggested the solution. Um, I want to say it was Michael, but it might have been Bryn, and it might have even been me. But uh, I have a vague, vague memory that it was Michael's idea. But like, it was suggested, like, well, this won't work. But what if we did this? You know, like you say the the idea in the hopes that it generates someone else to come up with a better idea. You know, <laughs> and then we're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, that would kind of work. It'd be kind of clever. And, and, and there was all this, well, are we cheating too much? Is that going to feel anticlimactic or like it's cheat? And I'm like, well, I don't want to do this every time, but I think we can get away with it here. Um, specifically because of the nature of the spell. And, um, I always see that moment and I go, yeah, I think that works, but I always have to sort of ask myself, does that work? Yeah, I think that works. <laughs> As opposed to just going, 
Oh, that's really great. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's weird. It also worked because it's like one of those things that you do with your friends as a kid when you were playing. Too is like, well, I have the spell and I said it, so oh, okay, now it's over. <laughs> that was great. Take my spell book and go home. That's right. <laughs> you didn't say that was in the rules. Dang it. Again, like I cringe every time they rip pages out of the Grimorum. Every single time. Yeah. Yeah. She took a few. Vegas doesn't like me. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah. She took. She pulled some out of there before she made her escape. Yeah. And we'll see the results of that down the road in season two. Uh, oh, and, and three. I mean, sorry, not three. One and two. We'll we'll see uh, an episode's coming. She pulled like two or three spells out of there and, and she makes use of them uh, in the episodes to come. Fantastic episode. And like you said, the, you talk about the ending. A lot of fans have debated the implications of that. Is he still technically under a spell? Is he even himself or is he just going through the motions? And it's uh, been a lot of back and forth discussion about that over the decades. <laughs> I mean, in a very theoretical sense, he's still under the spell. But as a, you know, pragmatically, as a matter of course, in essence, you can just forget about it because. Uh, he decides what he would, you know, she said, I want you to behave the way you would as if you weren't under a spell. So that doesn't mean it's her version of what he is. It, she's basically saying it's your version of what you are. So your version of what you are is you. Um, and so it just is Goliath. So even though technically he's under the spell, um, you know, he would obviously, uh, they, they would obviously then destroy that piece of paper so no one else could ever grab it and use it again and uh so i think in my head technically he's under the spell but as a matter of you know pragmatism it's as if it doesn't exist that makes sense there's another great line from brooklyn in the episode when he says to elisa any species that has you for a member can't be all bad what a backhanded compliment I love that. I, I really do. And try, um, I, I tried to put it delicately. And I love Elisa's reaction to it, too, which is like, uh, thanks? <laughs> I think, or whatever. Yeah, thanks, I think. Uh, I right. guess that's the compliment. <laughs> but, I think uh, I meant well. <laughs> I mean, I've um, been called worse, so. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think for us, the whole idea is that we didn't, you know, as simplistic as that solution seemed, I think, you know, the alternative was, might've been worse, which is, uh, and I don't mean the alternative of keeping him under the spell, but we just didn't want to have some sort of cliche. Oh, it's over. And it's, you know, we wanted there to at least be some cleverness to, to the whole thing. And, and having Elisa be the one to solve the problem to sort of, cement the idea that no group is monolithic that um you know it's goliath's line that comes a little bit after actually which is um you know brooklyn is saying she had me thinking all these things are true and he's like yeah because it's a half truth she has thoroughly embraced you know so it sounds real and my god isn't that the story of our lives today is 
full of have truths that that people embrace so thoroughly that um, yeah, isn't that, that the man, case? They are messing us up. <laughs> uh, Careful what you believe. Yeah, uh, you know, you you get a, a kernel of something, and then you hold on to that, you know, and wag it around as if it it's all there is to the story, and 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 yeah, that's going to cause problems. Um, if you're not willing to get to the whole truth, but just latching on to the thing that suits you, um, you know, and so, uh, so I think when Bryn wrote this, she was thinking of what life would be like during the pandemic in 2022 and <laughs> teaching us all of us. She's a prophet. It really, it really is so, so apropos to, yeah. to what's happening now in a lot of ways we just didn't uh you didn't put any any uh outbreaks in the show that's all well we, you know outbreaks yeah, we of hatred we didn't want to telegraph we didn't want to tell you know uh you know we wanted it to play subtle you know we could have said hey this is really going to matter to you in 2022 but we wanted people to find that out the uh, has come true you know <laughs> can't make it too obvious or there's just no art to it but you did it well it's a great show Guys, i'm reminded i'm reminded now of what J.R.R. tolkien said about applicability i'm not so tell us <laughs> oh that, share with the class uh, please <laughs> basically that he's not in favor of um allegory he likes to tell stories that could be applied to any situation it isn't like Okay, Sauron is Hitler. It's just that you know, evil needs to be beaten back, no matter how many forms it takes. And if a story is written enough, it can resonate in any time period. All right. Oh, you're taking fun out of it now. <laughs> <laughs> New show: Mutant Gargoyles. Yeah, that's right. The Flying Dead. Nice. <laughs> you two have worked together for. I'd watch yeah. it. I'd totally watch it. <laughs> nice. You two have worked together on, like Greg said, every single show. He hasn't done one without you. And loved you as Shocker and Montana on Spectacular Spider Man as well. You used to do a podcast about that. And um, loved you on Young Justice as Red Tornado and among, among a bunch of other characters. And the the work you two do has just been so terrific. I mean, has there been any, for you, has there been any differences or similarities between these shows that you have seen? Um, I think, no, I mean, they're all, they're, they're all different. And yet, I think the, again, the writing has always been very solid. And it's amazing, you know, what, what that does is, uh, for an actor to be able to be comfortable with the lines, you know, as opposed to st- I, I, I get auditions for things that I, that I've actually turned down. Cause I just thought I can't, <clears throat> I can't speak as this character, <laughs> you know? And it's like, no, nobody talks like this or wait, you know, um, just awkward and stilted kind of stuff. Yeah. That it just seems like, maybe it was done by a child almost or something, you know, and I, I, those are the kind of projects I just, I just can't get involved in. And, uh, these have always been great scripts, 
fun, interesting, uh, multi-dimensional characters. And even though Red Tornado might be uh, Owen Burnett's cousin or or long lost brother, <laughs> right? Locally, it's it's you know he's very he's very different also. But there's a cert, certain you know quality that is that is similar, I guess, in those characters. But um, yeah, I've I, I've enjoyed them all in different ways. They're all like different different shades. So. Greg makes that easy. It's especially helpful, like, after working together all these years, you know, you know people's range. You know his range, he knows yours, and it, it helps to make it happen. But when do we do Bonkers meets the Gargoyles? I don't know. I mean, you know. <laughs> what what worlds would you combine, Greg? Uh, Well... Uh, for fun, I'd combine that. I'd do that. I'd combine any of them, uh, but I think they're all probably better off uh, living in their own little spheres. Uh, you know, uh, the truth is, though, and, and I, I'd, I'd love to do Gargoyles again, uh, and I wouldn't mind doing Bonkers again. I mean, I uh, I was an executive on Bonkers. I wasn't even a showrunner on that. Uh, right. I, I wasn't even on the quote-unquote creative side of that i helped uh create the show and developed it but then you know handed it off to other people uh Gargoyles was the first show that i um sort of took on myself uh with frank parr um but uh i was you know really enamored of the original development of bonkers that's a, probably a whole other podcast to talk about what happened on bonkers but um uh and uh, and just, and I didn't know Jeff before Bonkers. Uh, I'm sure we had overlapped. Uh, like uh, you probably, I can't imagine you didn't do like an episode here or there of Rescue Rangers or Gummy Bears or something like that. Uh, uh, but the first show that we really worked together on was Bonkers, and I was just so enamored of. Uh, of your abilities. And so, yeah, I mean, the thing, you know, you talk about, uh, Jennifer, you know, I know his range and that kind of thing, but the thing is, is that I know he's got no limit to his range. I mean, that's what I know. Like <laughs> when Brandon and I, this season Legit. on Young Justice, we're, we're thinking about, okay, last season we got Artemis to a place where she could, um, was ready to move on. She hadn't moved on, but she was ready to move on and we thought okay it's a year later by now who would she be dating and the thought crossed my mind Jeff you know had done maybe one or two liner as this character Jason Bard back way back in season one um who was just this uh marine private you know um and uh I thought yeah let's have her dating Jason and it's like, so we'll have this whole, we have this whole incredibly great scene that's kind of sexy and then very funny uh, as Artemis's sister shows up and starts questioning Jason. And uh, I'm like, yeah, Jeff can totally handle this. And so, you know, you get this sexy interplay between Artemis and Jason and you get this, 
oh my God, her family is intimidating moment with um, the sister. And yeah, my, my favorite part of that is, is Jamie playing the role uh, and doing the sexy scene with me. <laughs> that was, that was always the best. You know, Jamie goes, okay, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, okay, okay, I'm going to say, uh, oh, you're, you're just, I'm going to be very quiet and talk to you and go, oh, I just, I, I find what you say so deep, Jay. <laughs> that was a beautiful I, Jamie impersonation. I can't say, I can't say my line straight with you doing those lines, Jamie. I just, you know, I can't, I don't think I can who, go on. Who is, but thank you. Who is sexier than Jamie Thomason? Who is nobody? Than you? So, <laughs> that's the thing. I, I mean, again, uh, you know, I know that, uh, anything, I can, uh, hand Jeff anything, anything, and he's going to knock it out of the park. Um, there isn't a pitch you can throw him that he can't hit. Um, and, uh, again, uh, I just joy to work with Jeff always, always. You're too kind, sir. Might I say the same? And I just will think. <laughs> Nice. But I want my bike back. <laughs> Maybe NECA will make you one. <laughs> yeah, we need we need to redo Gargoyles just so he can get his bike back. Well, we've always wanted to see a proper third season, hopefully based on those comic books that Greg wrote back for SLG. Some really cool stuff happens with Brooklyn and them. He finally gets the girl. Yeah. Yeah. And um, before we begin wrapping up, because I promised I would, the other day I was speaking to my young cousin, and um, I mentioned to her I'm going to be interviewing a man named Jeff Bennett, who was a voice actor, and she quickly Googled you, and here she said, oh my god, he's done so much, I love all the Scooby-Doo participation, and he was Johnny Bravo, that's great, love seeing him in Powerpuff Girls and Dexter's Lab, those are two of my all-time favorites. I mean, Johnny Bravo's got to be the top of the career, right? That's... Uh, yeah, it was, that, that was, gosh, when we were, we were doing Gargoyles, what, 93, 90, 94, 94 uh, yeah, we started in 93. We did it from, uh, I mean, in terms of voice recording, we would have been recording from 93, uh, through, uh, maybe even early 96. Although my guess is that we were probably done by uh, late 95 recording, um, no, I take yeah. that back. For the third season, which I didn't work on much uh, at all um, after the first episode, you must have been recording in, in early 96 as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, we're doing uh, Johnny Bravo around. It was right around 94, so it was pretty much during the same time that all of that was going on. And Powerpuff, too. Powerpuff was happening pretty much around the same time. So I was... Yeah, I was I was having a blast doing all these. It's a great age of cartoons. Oh. I really yeah. was. Yeah, the nineties were were just about the best. Yep. Well, and and those voice recording sessions from Gargoyles were so much fun. I mean, just so much fun. I mean, it was a great group of people. Everyone really liked each other. Everyone teased each other. Uh, Jeff would sit there and do. Uh, Lexington impressions and Broadway impressions. <laughs> I know. I remember once Tom like went to the bathroom or something and came back and, and uh, Jeff was 
doing Tom doing Lexington. <laughs> and, and Tom's like, what's going on? And, like, and Jeff is like, oh, yeah, we'll see cast. My part? <laughs> no, he didn't lose your part. He's just messing around. It's okay. You're good. You're good to go. That was that was partly how I got cast is that I would I would go home and then I go okay. So this guy talks and this guy talks like this. So I gotta be I gotta be in between. You know? <laughs> right. It fit perfect. It fit was just a constant. What file does this fit in? <laughs> Some, but yeah, that was you got you got to be the just right at the porridge, you know, like too hot, too cold, just right. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it was a blast, though. And in this this age now, where you know you're lucky if you get in the same room with anybody, with more than one person anymore, it's it's pretty amazing, you know. I uh, I, I I literally I wonder how they put some of these shows together now, because if you don't hear the other line you know i mean we had line readings based on what we were given by the other actors but if if you're having to make it up in your head that may not be the way the actor read the line so maybe you're reacting in a totally different way i i it's so different now and i mean i still i still love it but it's it's a whole different way of of recording a show now Plus, everybody has so many schedules, you know, so they can't get everybody together at the same time to do a show. So mostly we record individually. Although I have yeah, done I mean, cast recordings on my, you know, via uh, the computer. And that's that's a whole different realm now, too. Really? That I that we haven't done. I mean, you know, for season four of Young Justice, we tried as much as possible to do cast recordings. And say for the first, you know, third of the season, and then you know the pandemic hit, and everyone was recording individually, and and most of them, although not all, from home. Um, but uh, God, I, I I can't wait to get back to full cast recordings, assuming that we ever can someday. But we never tried doing full cast recordings via Zoom or anything like that. I don't even know how that would work. It's very interesting. <laughs> but, you know, they're doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that we can even uh, do the work during all of this because uh, a lot of people can't. And it's been it's been pretty wonderful. In fact, I I'm going to be doing a show in about 15 minutes. Right. So. Uh, well, it's we better amazing. get you off to your show. Oh, we, bet. We, we had better. Before we begin to wrap things up, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, no, you know, all the stuff that I would plug, I can't yet talk about. <laughs> so, you know, I think I can. I think I can say, but I'm not completely sure uh, about one of the shows. But it is a uh, it's a franchise kind of show, and I'm really uh, I'm excited. And then um, I've been doing a lot of Disney Junior uh, work, and I think we've we finally finished Curious George, which which was, gosh, it was like fourteen seasons altogether, or something like that. Wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a lot. 
Um, and I'll miss that, but, but yeah, things are, things are going well, considering it's been two years of, of, uh, being in the front closet room of my house and still working. So (laughs) nice. And Greg, do you have anything you would like to plug? This will be going up the uh, first show in March. Oh, well, if it's in March, then, uh, yeah, we'll be coming back with the second half of season four of young justice. I would think uh, any day now. Uh, oh, I, I don't have an actual date. You were recording this back in uh, January. And at this point, I don't have an actual date, but we know it's spring. So March is spring, right? March sounds like spring. Um, so we should be coming back for the last 13 episodes of season four of Young Justice any minute. By the time hey, you hear where my shirt if 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 I if I'm there. I got I got my young just justice touring shirt a few months ago. That's right. Part of the Young Justice Road Crew. Nice. <laughs> Jennifer, do you have anything you would like to plug? Uh right now things are kinda crazy, but uh if uh my Etsy's open or anything, you'll know. Just go to www.heyaskbutt.com and uh, my Redbubble and uh, all my other stores are there. Can I get a Gargoyles license plate? (laughs) I never did. You got to paint the hood of your car, too. (laughs) I sure would like me. One of them Gargoyles license plates, man. They're very cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Johnny Bravo, Gargoyles fan. <laughs> there's there's a meeting that should happen. Man, I want some wings, too. Just give me some gel and wings, and I'm ready to fly. Awesome. All right, Jeff, I just want to thank you for coming on. It was a privilege and an honor. You've been, I've been hearing your voice. Absolutely love having yeah. you. I've been hearing your voice for so many decades now throughout my life. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you. It was uh, it was my pleasure as well, and um, lovely to lovely to talk to you and and hear the the stories of long ago, long ago nineties. Many moons have passed. <laughs> well, fingers crossed that maybe the nineties will become present day again sometime. Hashtag keep engine gargoyles on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And Greg, I want to thank you again for doing everything you do. We always appreciate it. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your contributions, your patience. (laughs) Heavy on the patience. Heavy on the patience over the years. I I feel that's mutual. Uh, Okay. Let's face it. I just go on and on and on. You guys put up with it. (laughs) (laughs) It was great talking to all of you. Take All right, care, you guys take care, everyone. And, and Jennifer, you rock too. I hope you know that. Oh, I, yeah. I have moments. <laughs> bye, gang. Right, I, okay, All right, bye. And I just want to thank the audience as well. Tune in next time when we discuss Deadly Force.
horse once. Could you build one from spare parts? 